Brothers and sisters, this is B with a quick announcement just to let you know we have three podcasts, three great options for you now on different channels over at the My Soul Centered website. You can get them, mysoulcentered.org, the Defiant Spirit podcast, the Money and Soul podcast, and the Soul Centered podcast. Jump over there to learn the differences, to sign up, and we'll see you on whatever podcast you choose. Until then, shalom, salam, namaste, peace. Welcome to the Soul Center Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Master Healer Ariella Halevi and Rabbi Dr. Baruch Halevi. Rabbi B, your healer and guide on the journey of life. In this podcast, we will explore all things spirituality, meaning, and healing. From Kabbalah and the healing of your soul, to shamanic energy work and the healing of your past. From ancient wisdom traditions to guide your spirit, to modern tools to live your life. The Soul Center Podcast will empower you to discover your soul's purpose and inspire you to live a soul-centered life. And don't forget to check out Rabbi B's newest podcast, The Defiant Spirit. You can find it at mysoulcenter.org or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And now, on to our show. So welcome back to the Soul Centered Podcast. We are really excited to continue our conversation with you about um, some very important topics. We have multiple uh, podcasts here at Soul Centered. I have mine, The Defiant Spirit, and this is our shared podcast. And so maybe we'll just before we jump into this conversation, which is called Boundaries, Borders, and Being Seen, we'll share with you a little bit about uh, what's going on in our lives and how we see the world. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good. Long time no see. It is true. Um, So what's going on in your life? What's going on? Well, how much time do you have? (laughs) (laughs) As much time as we want. It's our podcast. (laughs) Um, What's going on? You know, right now it is all about, for me, it's all about helping people manage fear, helping people manage. You know, I think what's different right now as we're recording this, um, Ukraine's um, being invaded by Russia, and I guess that's a good order to talk about that's been crossed, but also, um, you know, the economy today was another hard day in the economy. And, um, I think people weren't expecting this. We were coming out of COVID and we were thinking we were on kind of an upward trajectory. Now gas is like five plus a gallon. And I think it's expectations, you know, we can deal with this and we will deal with this. And partially it's going to come down to making sure we have clear boundaries and borders. And we'll talk about that. But I think people are just sort of getting their feet beneath them right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening to another podcast today um, that I like listening to. And and the person said something really beautiful, which is um, times, you know, and you've said this before, in times like, I know this is a quote from a deeper person to somebody else, but in times like these, there's, there have always been times like these. And what's important to remember is that we can choose to stay in that fear and anxiety, which you and I have been saying for two years, and we have been swept up in it at times. And the other option is to stay in higher consciousness. And so what this man was saying on the podcast was really just believing that you can grow fruit in the desert, right? That that miracles do happen. And yes, there is war right now and things are scary. And there has been this, like the hardest times of our lives in the last two years. And but but do you believe that you are blessed? Do you believe that you can that you know you think about Israel, for example, that you can grow fruit in the desert? That means that that with when tethered to source, 
you can make magic happen and miracles can happen. So we can, and I said this to you and we kind of argued about it the other day, but I, <laughs> here we go again. Shocker. Halevi's <laughs> are marital counseling live in front of the world. Here we go. <laughs> but I said this yesterday or the day, the day before where, you know, you can sit and watch news after news after news. And yes, it's important to be informed or you can use that time to pray and manifest and grow and feel more um, in source and in love because that helps the world. So we're going to change the title to boundaries, borders, and do you believe? Because that's what we're talking belief. about. Yeah. So mix that. Um, we'll, <laughs> we'll change the title. But yeah, I think this is the direction we're going and we're going to go this direction. Do you have anything you want to share that's not deep and that you're just going through in the world? Because I didn't. I just skipped over to the deep stuff. You, that's shocking. Is there anything else? Um, we just get nothing. No, it's all okay, deep. Never mind. So we're just going deep. <laughs> Welcome to the world of an Enneagram 8 and an Enneagram 4. We so. do nothing but go deep. <laughs> so, um, okay. Well, from that place, let's talk about kind of an idea that we've spoken about a lot here and we'll continue to speak about, which is um, the idea of a victim. You know, Dr. Edith Eager, who I've mentioned before, amazing woman, Holocaust survivor, says a victim is somebody who says, why me? And we're all victimized in different ways at different times. And she went through the Holocaust, but, you know, we all have our own experiences that we feel powerless, victimized. I don't know what to do. And that's that's a starting point. Like, don't gloss over it. Don't deny it. But then she says, at some point, you must say, now what? And in that, you take back your power because there's always a now what? There's always a what, something you can do. And I think that does take us into kind of this idea of boundaries and borders. Absolutely. And I think that um, we should bring a personal story in to give an example of how important it is to, to tether yourself to this idea of God or source or whatever you call it, because that's that is when you're in the response, when you're choosing to take responsibility for your life, what that means is that you are open and willing to create the borders and the boundaries you need in order to take responsibility. In the energetic world, we talk about our energy bubble. And when there's too many people in the energy bubble, then you can't make your own decisions and you can't be responsible for yourself or feel sovereign because there's too it's too crowded in there. Right. And so I think we should talk about a personal experience close to our heart that um, that I believe we've learned greatly from and even still deal with today. And um, our experience has helped us grow immensely. And that would be what? That would be our time uh, about 18 years where we were the rabbi and rabbi's wife of two large congregations in Iowa and Boston. So happy to talk about that. Um, and in my language, we're taking responsibility is saying what's mine and what's not mine. You know, I, when, when I counsel people, I hear this over and over and I'm sure I do it too. Somebody made me feel something, right? Oh, they're making me feel bad, you know, and that that's not possible. Nobody can make you feel bad. You're choosing to allow whatever they're sharing with you come across your boundaries into your space. You're taking it in, but you can also learn how to put up a boundary, a border that is... I'm not accepting this. I don't, this is not mine. And I think, you know, as I say that I struggled with that for many years as a rabbi, because mm -hmm. it's not just rabbi, it's clergy, it's certain professions. You're supposed to like not have boundaries, right. And have impeccable boundaries, not have boundaries in the sense of you're theirs. Right. Right. You don't have a self. 
Right. Your needs don't matter. You, you, your vacation, but my loved one died. You need to leave your vacation and come take care of my loved one. Um, so, but then when you have a sense of self, right, you pay a price for it. Right. And so, you know, it took me many years to say, nobody, they're not making me do anything. I'm doing it. I'm choosing. And then eventually I said, look, I, I love you. And to take care of myself and my needs, I need to go move on. Right. But it's really, it came down to, I think, trying to navigate for so many years at the beginning, what's mine? What's theirs? Where do you draw a line? I think it's really hard to be in any position, but especially a, a position like that where the lines are naturally blurred. I mean, I, I remember when you were in rabbinical school and I thought, oh, I'm going to be a rabbi's wife. Oh, how fun. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo. Yes, I'm going to be a rabbi's wife. I had no idea what that meant. I was pregnant. I was young. I had no idea that really what that means is that my Judaism, my what I considered at the time, my relationship with God, my the the way that I interpret that and and the way I act upon it is not mine any longer. It belongs to five hundred people, a thousand people, and it, I remember. I remember. You know, Friday night, I had a newborn and I'm walking the living room with a crying newborn and you're in the synagogue, you know, tending to your people. And I thought, oh, my God, my Judaism is not mine. And what I did was and your husband is not yours. And my well, for many, many years, my husband was not mine. And what I did was I had to create a boundary where I had to find this Judaism that I loved. I found it later in life. And I mean, there's so many facets to the story, but one of it was like, I would walk the living room every night with a newborn and play my Jewish music because it was mine. It was like something that I could own. I remember so distinctly, like, this is my, this is my Shabbat because I'm not at the synagogue Friday night. My husband is, this is mine. And I think that um, our yoga teacher so long ago, she said, um, and I, everybody else has said it too, but she's the one that introduced it, Anne. She introduced it to us and she said, it's not my opinion what others think about me. It's none of my business what you think about me. And for both of us, I mean, we still talk about it. We still talk about her. We loved her. It's, it, was, it hit home being in such a large position at the spotlight where we had to literally share our family with so many people. That idea... It, for so many years, couldn't happen. It was about what you thought. It was about what you thought about us. And for me, I, you know, I was birthing babies. I had four children in front of a congregation. I was in so, labor. So to speak, yeah. I was in labor. My first child. It's true. I was in labor during second day of Rosh Hashanah, sitting in the back, having labor pains. So, but that's a good example because that was my first Rosh Hashanah uh, as a solo rabbi and um, on my own. And of course, our oldest son, who basically started out on that foot by challenging us, comes <laughs> out on Rosh Hashanah day two. But Rosh Hashanah, like it's like the Jewish Super Bowl, and somebody—I remember somebody—I won't say who—said to me, "You're not going. This is Rosh Hashanah. Like we just spent a lot of money and time and energy bringing you here. I don't know if you went into the details, but that was the message I got. And my response was, "Fuck you. I'm out of here." And I went and watched my son be born. Um, cause I won't know you in 20 years, but he'll be in the other room and I'm going to have to answer to him. But I remember from the outset going, Oh my God, that was my, Oh my God moment of where you had yours. I just lost my husband and this Judaism. I was like, Oh my God, like they, somebody has input on whether or not I, I get to watch my child be born. 
Right. And that was a boundary moment. It is. It was. Yeah. I mean, we've had so many of those. And and quite honestly, it's nobody's fault, right? We have beautiful, beautiful memories of our time there. And I think we grew up there. We grew up in both places in different ways. And I think as we've taken how many years, seven years since we've been in, in, in that retired, um, it's taken seven years to, um, recover pieces of ourselves. But for me, I can only speak for myself, getting lost in a congregation where everybody wants to see what you're wearing and what your kids look like. And, and, you know, some of it was very beautiful, but I, I don't know if anyone knew that I spent a lot of time, especially when my kids were little, I spent a lot of time in the rabbi's study right? During lunch, when I was supposed to be schmoozing, I was in the study nursing babies, but also hiding. Mm -hmm. And I, what I understand now was that I was a sensitive person and I was an empath and I was, you know, I was overwhelmed with all of the people that really wanted to just wish me love and wanted to see my babies. And, you know, I used to wear this snuggly on purpose because I wanted to keep them close. I became a mother lion. People would grab in the early years, people would grab the kid right. and like try and literally try and take, it was Yuda or one of it them. Was Yuda. And <laughs> she would try and take him and she would like shame you into not handing over your child. Or I got told that something was wrong with him because he was three months old and he was crying because he wanted his mom. No, he didn't like her. He said, and I was like, this yeah. kid's got a good sixth she sense because I didn't like her either. <laughs> She said, I think something's wrong with your child because he doesn't want to be held by me. He's there's something wrong. And I was like, give me back my baby. But the point is that that yes, there's always going to be someone there who was who's going to cross your boundaries. And what I realized was that I was tethering myself. I was anchoring into the to people and not God. Right. I had this relationship with God, but I didn't understand who I was. And I didn't understand that I was absorbing everybody's opinions. It was more important to me what you thought about me than what I thought about me. And I and I think, you know, in retrospect, I think the universe put me in that position so I could develop a thicker skin so I could say, actually, no, you know, this is my child. You can't hold him. And actually, I think this way and it may not be popular. You always had an easier time than I did. Well, I had the opposite issue because I'm an Enneagram 8. So my thing is boundaries, is being controlled. Enneagram 8s, that's the thing. I don't control me. I can't right. breathe. And I chose a profession where I was essentially oh. controlled. But, you know, I've said from the outset, I said, I'm Hebrew national hot dogs. Like I answer to a higher authority and it ain't you. And, but my challenge was I, I would constantly do the eight thing. And I'm a, I'm a sexual eight, one to one eight. So that means that I'm like um, eight plus and I'm the um, renegade on the Enneagram of 27 types. I am the, um, the rebel. And so I would constantly drop bombs on them to put them in their place. I remember the prayer. In Des Moines. I read a prayer, you know, referencing Jesus and I got, got written up. You got written up. I bolted the pews at that synagogue <laughs> that had never been bolted in 100 years. You also very young. I, I started a cannabis company at the end of my That's term true. as a <laughs> rabbi and I was older, but I, I was living in reaction. Like that was my way of saying, you can't own me, but that's right. just as reactive. That's, that's also me not believing in my boundaries and constantly having to make a big to-do to show you 
I'm in charge. Right. And there's a consequence to that. You know, and for the record, we've never talked about this. I mean, I, I, this is not like, oh, every week they're just ragging on, you know, being a rabbi and rabbi. No. That's A, that's not what this is about. I'm so grateful. We'll do, we should do podcasts on the gratitude and the life lessons and the connections we made. But this was much more about losing ourselves and waking up and going, looking in the mirror and going, who are you? For me, it was, are you going to live your life reacting to other people right. or are you going to respond like you talk about doing? Yeah. I mean, for me, it was um, this, I, I got to this point after we had Aviv, you know, our fourth child, I had so many babies and so many losses and so many, like there, I, it just, every part of my life was on display and I am a private person and I'm much more introverted and, and I do deeply care what others think about me. And it was such a challenge for me to finally say, actually, I don't, I don't want to be in the spotlight anymore. And the final act was me really coming to you and saying like, it's time, like it's time to move forward. It is time to move on. And it was this like, let's move to Israel kind of moment. And I got blamed for, for moving because my husband wanted me to, for, I got blamed for all the things that I always worried about. Yeah, it was her idea, it just was, for the record. I it got was yelled at. my idea. I had a dream of moving to the Jewish mountains. All I wanted to do, I actually wanted to move to the mountains and I considered Colorado. I considered that an option, mountains in the Colorado, yes. But it wasn't Jewish enough. It wasn't Jewish at all. So, you know, and your idea of Israel and my idea of being Jewish and living in the mountains, I was like, the only place is the Galilee. The, that's the only place for me. Yes. And it was a reaction, right? There was still a reactive nature to what we did because it was the extreme. Yeah. And so there's still that reaction. And we were living so much of our life in reaction to other people. So even if we broke away, mm -hmm. it was still being driven by somebody else. And that's victimhood. It was, but I'm going to interrupt you. It it was the best thing. I mean, I know we- It was know, necessary. I'm not was. saying that. But for me, it was like I had silence for the first time in 18 years, probably for the first time in my whole life. And, and I grew up, right? I think what we did was we grew up and we understood that boundaries are really important. And I needed to get quiet enough to anchor myself and connect to God and not anchor myself to people or to you or to my children, that was a big one, right? Like I defined myself by everybody else. And I learned that from the women in my life. And it was the first, it was the very first time where I said, this is me and I better figure out who I am fully because I'm, I need to live my truth and, and use my voice. And for the longest time, I stood in your spotlight. I was the rabbi's wife and it, what mattered was what I wore and how I looked and and then I started, I mean, going backwards, I started teaching yoga. And that was when I really said, like, it was like a turning point for me. Like, I actually, actually can't live in that spotlight anymore. And you didn't put me there, right? The title did, the job did. Yes. Even from the outset, the first interview we had um, <laughs> was in Detroit, right when I was ordained. And um, she shows up to the service <laughs> with our toddler and she's wearing pants crawling around on the floor chasing her toddler. And one of the people there says, you need to explain to people why you're wearing pants. And it's just because so you can crawl around on the floor. But normally you'd wear a dress. Right. And that was like, holy like, I'm, I'm totally out. <laughs> and, like you can't even consider this synagogue. And she's not, you know, like you were never, you're still not into traditional nothing, anything. Um, 
especially prayer. And so, you know, you would go through the motions and you would play the game. And then you got to this point where we're doing our own thing. A, we had a, you know, like enough clout at that point in our second gig to do what we wanted to. And we started the yoga minion and we right. started the renewal minion and alternative. And you were very involved with it, but it was finally, it was on your terms. Right. Right. right? And it was a process of figuring out who you're not, what you're willing to put up with and then what you're not. Yeah. And it was just a gradual process of growing out of something. And that's, I guess, part of the point. It, it didn't happen at a moment's notice. It was a process of you finding your voice, finding your boundaries, putting yeah. them down, making your stand. And yeah, you know, one of the reasons why we left being a rabbi is there was no way to compete with my role. Right. There was no way. It wasn't me. I, I spent my entire time, as I mentioned, fending off the fame and the accolades and the attention, no matter how hard I tried, it was always about me. You can see what a number it does on a clergy. And so finally it's yours 50, 50. It took us a while, even after that to get there, but there was no shot in hell that it was going to happen in that position. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it was a slow decline of just my body and my boundaries and my babies and babies. <laughs> and my belief, <laughs> a lot of bees in this MB. one, and B, and my boys. I mean, really, it was a lot of like really just looking at my core wounds and really just saying to myself, this isn't my highest truth to live in the rabbinic title, to live in in reaction. I mean, it was, and it, and the funniest thing is that I was blamed. I was accused of listening to my husband and that's why we moved. And Truthfully, he listened to me, but there was no, I remember Didn't talking matter. to my I couldn't mom couldn't convince about that. anybody that. No, and I remember talking to my mom and she believed me. And it's like I had to convince people that I that I was running the show. You know, the truth is I always ran the show, but you had a bigger, louder boom. <laughs> and back to the point, though, is that like, you know, it's like, A, whose business is this anyways? Right? And B, it's not true. But, um, and, and we even also had a, another person in our life who was hurt because we didn't consult that person in our decision, right? I mean, this is what we dealt with like a lot. In what world does anybody have an opinion outside of a marriage on what a couple does, right? right? Maybe you have your opinion, but you certainly don't drop it like it's equal to, well, there's you, the husband, there's the wife, and there's me, the outsider. Right. And we lost them. Right. And, but again, like I want to take full responsibility, right? Like yes, we allowed for that to we happen. We allowed for our boundaries to get slippery. We allowed for what others thought about us to be important. We struggled with a losses, your father. We struggled with like things in our lives that brought our, um, our boundaries down. We were vulnerable, vulnerable. We had too tight of boundaries at one point, and then we went looser and we paid for that. And, it was just a navigation system. And in some ways, it, in a lot of ways, it was beautiful. Once. You know, it took, it's taken seven years to get through that. And, and to be honest, we haven't found a community since. We are sadly, and in some ways, beautifully um, tethered to God in a beautiful, beautiful way, connected deeply than we ever have before. Definitely our family has been beautifully reconnected and joined together in ways we never thought. I mean, but, I think it's so positive for them. But now we answer to God. Right. Like it's between me and God. Like I have tattoos. I'm just saying it. 
I like, I have an RV, we have an RV, right? I, on Shabbos, sometimes we'll go to the RV park and I'm there and I, this is my way. I, is, it, is it acceptable to the Jewish community? It doesn't matter anymore. And that I've, I was angry about that for a long time. There are certain things I want to do in my lifetime and I blamed other people that I wasn't doing them. And finally I got to this point, it's not their fault. Like this is their system. These are the, their beliefs. I subscribe to it. I asked for the job. I asked for right. the title. Right. I asked for the responsibilities that came for it. And that was just, those are just a couple of the things. Like I want to go to the RV park on Shabbos and park my truck there mm -hmm. and sit outside and commune. Right. And I was growing resentful and it's not their fault. It's mine for not being honest about here's what you're agreeing to. Here's the boundaries and the parameters. Right. And, you know, taking responsibility for those choices. Our oldest son um, never played sports and he he was a karate guy. But partly the reason why he did karate and didn't do soccer was because it wasn't possible for us to leave on Shabbat to A, it wasn't in our religious decisions and B, we were on Saturday. This is where we were. And so right now our youngest is in competitive dance and he's, you know, we're all weekend, all long, all weekend long. This is where we are. And we have chosen it very consciously to help him through so many of his own things. Anyway, so my oldest said to me the other day, I'm so happy that you have given him the opportunity to do this. I don't regret not doing sports, but I wish, wish, wish. And my and Maya has said this too, because they our two older ones were really in it. And I wish that I would have been able to give him the opportunity just to say yes to sports. You know, just to say, honey, you want to go out and play soccer on Saturday? You go for it. And he's like, it was never an option. We couldn't go away on Shabbat. We, we, you know, we went away, but not majority of the time we were tied to a synagogue. Well, this weekend happens to be my nephew's bar mitzvah. And we missed life cycle events because I was scheduled to do somebody else's life cycle. And I was expected to forego our own. How right. many weddings in our families did we miss and bar bat mitzvahs and family gatherings and whatever. And it's not a congregation's fault that they should expect. But, you know, when we are sacrificing and growing resentful, you got to look in the mirror and say, take responsibility. If you want to be a family events, you got to maybe have to find a different job. Right. It's the way it goes. Right. A congregation, people listening will say, no, 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 no. You know, you should have your your ability to go to those things. It's easier said than done. Yeah. Somebody dies. Funeral. Right. Somebody, right. whatever. It's like. Yeah. Right. And, and so we just want to make sure that on, because we've never talked about it on this podcast, that we, we are finally seven years able to talk about our, our experience and our part in it. There was a lot of just getting through it and a lot of just sifting through it, I think for the last five, six years. And I think finally we're saying, at least for me, and I think you also, you know, there is a choice and we made choices and some of it was just choices we had to make in the moment. And, and it comes from a deeper place. We chose that position because of our early experiences, right? Every decision is made because we have a lesson. And for me, my lesson was my nervous system was never at rest. Not when I was younger, not when I was an adolescent, not in my twenties, thirties, forties, maybe now. I hope so. You know, and for me, it was a lesson in, you know, always, always like wondering what's happening outside of me. So I chose the perfect place to act that lesson out. Right. It was perfect for me. It was like 
it was like a high school situation, right? We, we see our daughter with so much drama right now. It was one thing after another because there's so many people. And it was always, it was death and birth and it was everything in between. And for me, it was never being able to rest. It was never, I had a vision of what I wanted for my family and I never could get my husband home enough to fulfill that vision. Although you did an excellent job of, of balancing it. And so for me, it was like, I need to find a way to listen to my inner voice without everybody else's opinions. And, and it's been beautiful and also painful so many people are not in my life where, when they were before. So many people. And it's been lonely and it's been growing and it's been just amazing. And it's still like, it's a part of me, right? I still, I long for it. And then yet I'm grateful that I'm not in it. And so there's so many different feelings around it, but it's about boundaries. Yeah. And, you know, for me, um, I think I took on that position because as an Enneagram 8, that vulnerability piece, I didn't have to be vulnerable, right? right? I, I got to wear the mask. I was expected to wear the mask. The more mask I wore, the more people felt confident. They had Superman in front of them. You know, like I led people through funerals and I led them through crisis. And, I, and you know, I think I was masking a lot of vulnerability. I, I was expected not to really share too much like this. I would never have shared this stuff. And, um, you know, when I shifted away and I'm on my own and I'm walking my talk, I got to live my principles. I can't just stand up here on the, the beam of the stage and talk about you know, what I called it being a warrior. I got to live it for me. And I was hiding for like so many years behind the title, the expectations, the roles, the, the prayer. Yes, I go to synagogue and pray. And these are the prayers I say. And I had to just remove it all and stand naked in front of my God and my life and my mirror and myself and my dad and, you know, my ancestors. And here I am, here's who I am. Like, I can't pretend anymore. And I'm not, I'm not going to live in the closet, you know, I'm not the sexual closet, all kinds of closets. Right. I, this is who I am. You don't like it. Okay. You don't have to like it, but now I'm, I'm, I'm able to just, this is it. And I can be vulnerable and it's still hard for me. Incredibly hard but it's also real. Yeah. I had this vision of you. Um, let's say one vision. <laughs> like I thought you standing naked. No. Blue robe. No. <laughs> I had this vision of when we moved to this mountaintop on in Israel of like um, at the end of services, at the end of Kiddush lunch, um, someone handed my husband a broom and he's like, here, go sweep. No, it was better than that. It was, you always mess these stories up. <laughs> <laughs> so we, there was a visiting rabbi and like everybody's a rabbi in Israel. There was a visiting rabbi and he was there at the luncheon and he was behind me and somebody else was in front of me and they were like, come here, Rav, Bo, Bo, come, Rabbi, come here. So I started to go to them and he went right past me to the rabbi. I wasn't the rabbi anymore. Right. And then he turned around and handed me a broom and said, can you clean this up? Right. And I started sweeping and it was like, I went from a congregation of a few thousand to sweeping on the Sabbath. And it was like, oh my God. No, it's a crumb. You crumbled. What did I just do? <laughs> <laughs> Can um, I come back? <laughs> no, but it was, it was, um, it was an unmasking yeah. and a, a nakedness. And do you like who you are? Right. And is it an, are you enough for you? Right. Cause you know, you can't yeah. spend your life trying to be enough for others. Right. Yeah. I mean, so it was, there's so many, so many lessons in this. I, I always say we could write a book and so you many. You want me to call it? 
boundaries, beliefs. Not for profits, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S. Oh, that's good. Not for profits. That's a good one. Um, so where are we going with this? <laughs> All right, let's wrap up with boundaries, borders, and beliefs. Okay. So the lesson here, if you've gotten a lesson out of our whole story, is number one, don't tether yourself to people, right? Don't tether yourself to, if you tether to a person, then they will change and they will die and they will grow and they will disappoint you because they're human. So whether you're tethering yourself to 500 people or one person, tether yourself, connect yourself to God, and you will be infinitely more fulfilled and taken care of and safe and loved. And then have those relationships with 500 people. But remember who you speak to, who you connect to first, who you um, align yourself with, because all these people will change. They all grow. Someone said to me, don't tether yourself to your dog because he'll die. And I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one thing I tether myself to still. And they're like, no, he'll die. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's a whole story. But anyways, boundaries are very important when it comes to and any amount of people. It's it's a amazing point. And let's just continue just a little longer with it. Because when we say boundaries, you know, it just, it's like the boundaries around you, like a line in the sand. But what you're saying is so true, which is boundaries are your, you know, God, or, you know, I would say value, tether yourself to a value, right? That's like putting a stake in the ground. And, you know, it's tethering, it is, that's still a boundary. It's saying, I'm only going to go this far from my, my value but no farther. And so that's a boundary too. And, you know, this is what Viktor Frankl talks about, you know, he or she who has a why can endure any how. It's your why. This is my reason for being. This is my God. This is my value. This is, and that is immovable. Right. That does not change. And, and when I counsel people, I see this because we can go back to your five-year-old self or your 50-year-old self or your 95-year-old self. And they're the core values. They haven't changed. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting. It is interesting. When you talk to a you know, grown, successful man, 50 years old, and, and you know this and that industry, and then you go back and he's the same little five-year-old boy in there doing right. the same thing. We get back to him and it's like, oh, yeah, that's... That's it. Right. And to, to grow with that is like when you connect to that younger self, the one that knows his values, that knows his place, you can start asking yourself, what do I need? Who am I? What do I need now? What do I think about this? What It reminds me of my grandma. God, God love her and God rest her soul. It drove me crazy because it reminded me of me, not to that extent, but we would go out for dinner and the first thing she would say is, what are you having? What are you having? What are you having? And my sister and I always laugh at this. And my mom and I used to laugh. And so my mom would get the chicken chop salad with the chicken on the side and the instead of ranch dressing, she would get the olive oil dressing and she, you know, just like me, right? Avocado, add extra avocado. And it would be this whole spiel. And my grandma would say, I'll have exactly what she's having, exactly the same way. And it's like, but all of us were just like, but, but Ma, what do you want? I want that. Oh no, instead I'll have, or, you know, like I'll have what she's having or maybe what she's having. It was never what she wanted to have. And so what I learned and what I hope we're teaching. And that's you, not your mom's, that's not, that's on your grandma. But right? she didn't know right. her values. She didn't know what she wanted. She didn't stake her, you know, claim that's, and it's right. not our congregation's fault. And it's not anybody's fault. 
It's on you. It's on you. You mistake your claim. You find your values. Right. It's your job to figure out what you want. And if you don't know, don't expect or ask somebody else to fill it in. That's right. Understand what you want to wear every day. Understand if you want your eggs over easy or scrambled. Like, what do you want? What do you want to eat? What do you want to buy? What do you, how do you want to live? That is a part of boundaries. And for us, it was figuring out that we we are meant to live a certain way and we had to leave where we grew up in order to do that. Yes. And all you Enneagram nines and twos out there, this is what we do. I deal with all, all the, the time. time with them. These are the hiding your head these, in the sand. These are the people who their work in life is to say, no, I have needs. Say it lovely, yes. kindly, yeah. consistently. And that's the growth work for these types. And it's a lot of women. Not it every is. woman, but it's a lot of women. It, I see a lot of moms, a lot of moms that have, you know, always just put the kids first, put the kids first. It's why typically the mom has a complete meltdown and breakdown when their kids go to college. Who am I? What do I want? Instead of, I mean, I know who I am and I know what I want, but when my kid went to college, complete meltdown and taking responsibility because it's not your kid's fault. It's not your spouse's fault. It's not the world's fault. It's It's not a fault. It's just, you're a victim. If you don't have a voice, you don't have a say. So you go back and you take my power back and I I outsourced my power. I'm not outsourcing anymore. I'm not now going to fill the empty nest with a new version of them right? I'm going to fill it with my values. That's what I'm going to anchor myself to because the guy across from me won't be here forever and the dog won't be here forever. Sure. I'll be here until he takes me. I'm not going anywhere. What about the dog? uh, The the dog, (laughs) I'm not prepared to have this conversation because you're going to go- Can the dog be here forever? (laughs) Dark deep. So, But the bottom line though is that that's a powerful shift. I see it. And yes, in women particularly, not only, but particularly, there's like a Oh my God, it's mine. I gave it away. I That means I can take it back. That's right. Um, I like to look ancestrally because while you it do? is, I, I do, I didn't know if you know that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay, every time every, he wants to go there. Every time I move, I hear the Enneagram. I hear it in my sleep. I hear it in my dreams. I see it as I'm getting ready in the morning. Just... All I can see is those little circles that are, by the way, all around this office. You just can't see them. Oh, for me, for me, for <laughs> me. She's a four. <laughs> I love you. Okay. Anyways, what was I saying? I don't know. It's ancestral. It's... <laughs> I'm creative and I am important. You're not a four. You just react like one. Yes. That's my... Okay. Stop with your Enneagram. It's more about me. You brought it up. (laughs) Okay. To conclude, it's not your fault. It's what you were taught, right? It's not my grandma's fault. She learned it from her mother who learned it from her mother. This is a lineage issue. When When we don't have the boundaries we're supposed to have, it's because the people that raised us didn't know that they were supposed to teach us that. It isn't their fault. It's not about blame. It is about taking responsibility, right? It is about making those choices. My grandmother did have a choice. She could have said, no, this is what I want. She was actually super stubborn and super, when she did want something, like you knew it. Enneagram nine. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know how to finish this podcast because- you Well, they're like, finish, hurry up. Come on. We got to go. I got to pick up a kid. Okay. 
Namaste, everyone. We pray that you have better boundaries than we do right now. <laughs> no, but seriously, I think it's really, really important that, you know, this whole conversation is about taking responsibility for all of it, right? For everything we can, because in that you're taking back your power and you're saying it's not a congregation's fault, a business's fault, a community's fault, a other right. person's fault. Yeah. It's not about fault. It's about I gave away my boundaries. I let it slip. I now am taking it back. And there might be consequences to that, but I'm willing to live with the consequences because as an act of love, right, that's what we do. And that's what a boundary can be. And it starts with us knowing what they are, putting them down or stake in the ground and just holding to it. Amen. Stand in your sovereignty. So that's where we're going to end. We will see you in the next podcast. Namaste, everybody. Shalom, shalom, peace. You've been listening to the Soul Center Podcast with your hosts, Ariella and Baruch Halevi. If you'd like to learn more about Soul Center, please visit mysoulcenter.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at mysoulcenter. And if you found meaning and inspiration in this podcast, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd also love to hear from you to connect with you. So please reach out to us. And until then, we wish you Shalom, Salam, Namaste.